Hi, I'm Dr. Fungfulu Balogo, also known as Fulu for short. Hi, I'm Dr. Oninye Balogun. We, we are, are the Ankdaks. Thank you for tuning in to our episode today. Colorectal cancer is the third most common cancer in the United States and the second most common cause of cancer deaths. There is a similar burden of disease seen globally across the world. Black and African-American individuals as a group have the highest rates of colorectal cancer of any racial or ethnic group in the United States. Compared to non-Hispanic whites, black men are about 25% more likely to have colorectal cancer and black women are 20% more likely. In terms of mortality, dying from the cancer, black men are almost 50% more likely to die from the disease, while black women are about 34% more likely when compared to their white counterparts. They are diagnosed at a younger age and present with more advanced disease at diagnosis. We are also observing an increase of this disease in younger adults which is defined as younger than 50 years old. This is seen across all races and ethnic groups. However, the disparities I just mentioned in the older population is also reflected in the younger group, whereby black individuals do worse than other groups. Colorectal cancer is a disease that can be prevented by screening. There are multiple ways of screening that include the convenient stool-based test, which can be performed at home, and the colonoscopy, which is a gold standard because it can screen and treat simultaneously. Today, we will be hearing from James Casey. James is a musician. He plays multiple instruments, the saxophone being his main one. He is a singer, producer, and composer. He has worked with many of the world's leading artists, including The Roots, Fish, Anderson Pack, J. Cole, Shaka Khan, Dave Matthews Band, Wu Tang, and the list goes on. He will be sharing with us his journey dealing with colorectal cancer. Good afternoon, good day to Mr. James Casey. Thank you for being our guest on the Onk Docs and for being willing to share your experience, your stories. I'm sure it will make a difference for a lot of people. Why don't we start with you telling us who is James Casey? Who are you? What are you about? Of course, my name is James Casey. I'm a musician. I'm a singer. I'm a saxophone player, producer. That's what I've done. That's what I do. And um, I was diagnosed a year and a half ago with colon cancer, stage three. And right now, as we speak, I have stage four metastatic colon cancer. Before we talk more about that, I, right. I think of you as a saxophone player, but you play more than the saxophone. You're more than that in terms of the music. You're a multi-instrumentalist, writer. Why the saxophone above all else? All right, so here's what happened. When I was a kid, my brother, he played the saxophone when he was in fifth grade, and he only played for a year. And I was in second grade at the time. I was six, so I didn't have any front teeth. And so you know, when he brought it home, I couldn't play it. Like, I was really, I was really upset that I couldn't play the saxophone. I didn't get a chance. He quit playing, and then I, by the time I got to fifth grade, I really wanted to play the saxophone. And my mom, you know, we didn't have any money, and my mom was like, all right, James, look, you can play the saxophone, and we'll rent you horn, but you can't quit. Because Stephen quit, you can't quit. I'm like, all right, I won't quit. And that's kind of what happened with that. But as far as, like, music is concerned, 
I grew up in an extremely musical household. My mom was a pastor and my dad was a choir director. I started playing drums when I was three. I started singing in church when I was two. It was just kind of how we grew up. That's pretty cool. My son wants to play the uh, trombone. So oh, yeah. I had to do all that. Yeah. He's, he joined the band uh, this past year. And the same thing when I was looking at it, I was like, all right, we'll just rent a couple of things here and there. And I started to look at it. And I'm like, this is adding up. I told mm -hmm. him. You're going to finish this. You're not going to quit. Um, <laughs> when I was saying it, I was thinking, all right, a year or two. But now from your story, I may have expectations that, uh, you know, I'm going to come watch you play. I'm not saying that that's the way to go. I'm just saying that's, just, that's, what, we're, that's what my mom told me. She's like, yeah, you're not quitting this no matter what. Like, <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. No, no, you starting. We're going to the moon. So, yeah. Exactly, exactly. But hey, look at, look at what it's done for you. You have joy doing this, and that's what you spend most of your time doing. Yeah, I've been very, very blessed to be able to, you know, tour around the world and perform with all of my favorites. Like, I've been able to do all the things that I've ever wanted to do. I've been really, really blessed. And it's been a ride, man. It's been fun. I'm going to ask you a hard question. Mm -hmm. Top three saxophonists of all time. Oh, oh, that's not hard. That's easy. Uh, that's, that's, that's real simple. That's Wayne Shorter, who just passed today. Like he literally just passed right before oh, this. Wow. Thing. I mean, he was eighty nine, so he he lived an amazing uh, life. Yes, yeah. yeah, so Wayne Shorter, John Coltrane, Joe Henderson. That's it. All easy. right, all right. Easy big three. That's. I mean, for me, uh, you could put Charlie Parker in there in, t in place of Joe Henderson if you want to, but right. for me, it's those three because Joe Henderson's got the phrasing. John Coltrane's got like the ethereal stuff. He went somewhere else with it, which was like, I didn't really understand until I got older, until I really like got into the music. It's just amazing. And Wayne Shorter is quite possibly the perfect saxophone player. Quintessentially like the best musician. He's the guy who played the right note every time, no matter what. Like he wrote the right chord. He was just that dude. I have to get more familiar with him. I've learned that now from you today. Coltrane, I listen to all of them the most. Of course. of all the four you mentioned. Of course. Um, but Wayne Shorter, RIP, but I'm going to go turn him up on uh, Spotify. And one last question about music. Do you particularly like Christmas? Do I particularly like Christmas? Yeah, you I love imagine it's from your song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so yeah, I mean, I know you're asking me because uh, <laughs> I put out a Christmas record. Yeah, no, no, I love yeah. Christmas. Like as a kid, we didn't have much. I grew up very poor, especially as a young kid. We would get clothes like twice a year, once in the beginning of the school year and then once at Christmas. And like Christmas was the big time where we would get all the things for the next year. And so Christmas was it. My parents would scrounge them. I don't know how they would rub two stick together and put something together to let us have a great Christmas every year. So that was their thing. So no, nah, Christmas is it, man. Well, everyone. Go listen to a little something for everyone. <laughs> uh, of course, starting off with Christmas funk then. Right. All right. So tell us about your journey with cancer. So uh, I was in Kauai for most of the pandemic, for quite a bit of the pandemic. Uh, my girl and I were there. And when we came back, I had a gig at Red Rocks. I was playing with this guy named Bill Kreutzman, the drummer for the Grateful Dead. And we had two nights there. And while I was there, I just felt a whole lot of like, bloating you know it's, it's a lot of stomach discomfort i thought it was because of the altitude i thought you know i hadn't been in altitude in a while you know i'd been in basically in, in hawaii for a year and a half and then you know whatever so i, I assumed that's what it was a week and a half later i was 
back in New York and I had to go to the ER. You know, something was wrong. I, I thought it was appendicitis. It's like something in here seems to be blowing up. I need to get to the ER. So I went to the ER. They told me I had colitis and sent me home with antibiotics. Fortunately for me, the ER doctor that night, she called me up and was like, look, James, you need to go get a colonoscopy immediately go get a colonoscopy like if you need some help to get one let me know and i actually did need help to get one because i didn't know anything about it so you know she helped with the doctor's appointment that i was going to have that next week i didn't end up getting it because a day later i called her up i was like look i'm in a whole lot of pain and um these <laughs> antibiotics don't really seem to be doing anything and she's like yep if you're still in pain come back in i went back in back into the er and the er surgeon at the time told the er doctors that they had overread the chart they assumed that I was just trying to come in for pain pills and uh, sent me home with Tylenol and Advil. So I was supposed to switch that. Three days later, my stomach on the right side was so distended, it was maybe by like three or four inches. I had to go back in. Turns out they had to do emergency surgery that day because I had a tumor that had blocked my colon totally and pierced through the other side. Now, they didn't tell me that. They, they knew that. They knew what was going on because they had done a CT scan that first time that I was in, in the ER, but they didn't tell me. Thankfully, that doctor definitely, you know, alluded to it later. But no, I had no idea. And then emergency surgery. So they cut off a fifth of my colon and, you know, you do what you got to do. And I've been going through chemo ever since. And I have to say, what you did is a lot of what we tell people to do. It's what I tell people to do. You're having a symptom. You didn't sit on it. You know, as soon as you came back, within a week, you came back, you went to the ER and you were told, all right, you have a colonoscopy, pain was worse, you're back the next day or so. So you did the right thing on your part. But unfortunately, sometimes it's something we see that we deal with. And uh, you see it happen more to uh, minorities, you have more to black people where you have a symptom and it's underappreciated. Right. But you persisted which is what I advise people to do. So you were having the chemotherapy. How has that been going? What has been going on since? You know, the surgery went well, as well as can be expected. Started with a regimen at that particular hospital, and unfortunately, it didn't take. I have a uh, what's called a KRAS mutation. Unfortunately, the chemo that was recommended for most of the people with colon cancer just didn't work. And while that was going on, my doctor at the hospital that I was at did not, there was some new medicine basically, and he didn't know what to do with that. And because he didn't know what to do with that, I had to go a little longer than I should have on the, the course that wasn't working. So I switched to another hospital. Fortunately, it seems like the course that I'm on right now is working. The disease is currently technically stable and trying to work through it. Glad the switch has happened and things are going better now. There's the comment that this also highlights that one of the potential problems you see in cancer care or just in healthcare in general, where you have sometimes the technology moves a little faster than the people do. Mm -hmm. So you may have new technology or new exciting findings or drugs and the practitioners, the doctors and whoever, they just don't know what to do with it yet or they don't know how to handle it. And these days with all the data and information we have, we're seeing more and more of that. I'm trying to get a sense of how you felt during that time of being on something that's not working or having information, something that could change your management. 
how that affected you or how that makes you feel. What lessons did you learn or how did you feel about that? From that specific time, one, I reiterated the knowledge of being my own advocate. That doctor didn't want to take that data. That doctor wants to throw out that data as an outlier. And I did not want that at all. I wanted I wanted to keep in because if that data is saying something that everything else is not, then that data needs to be checked out. And that data needed to be checked out. And since they didn't check that out, I basically have a lot more problems to deal with. So be your own advocate. It's more than just, I'm hurting. I need you to listen to me. I need you to listen to me. It's, more, it's like, okay, you're not paying attention to all the information that that you could be, which makes me feel that, that doctor truly didn't, I won't say it didn't care, but that doctor honestly didn't even know my name after being a patient for six months. It showed me a detachment from the patient. It's difficult to be a cancer patient. I'm sure it's difficult to be a cancer doctor, but the communication has to be there. And if the communication isn't there, it, it's, it's, it, it's very difficult. It, it's, it's difficult on the patient. I'm just put it that way. That's very true, James. I mean, you hit a point that's so important. There's definitely the part of being your own advocate. Yes, the doctors are going to know more about the medicine than you do, but it's your body and they're asking you questions because there's some things that only you can know, only you can say. Right. But you knowing as much and being your own number one advocate or having family or loved ones who are coming there with you to do that is yes. huge. Yes, it's yes. Huge. And that communication aspect of it, it, it's a team sport. It's not just the doctor that's going to take care of you. It's not just the nurse. It's you and them making the decisions together. So how did you take matters into your own hand? How did you force that change? Right. So when it was obvious that I needed to restart on chemo, that was when we immediately started to look for another place. Well, the place that I'm at right now is a place that I actually looked at in the beginning but again the communication wasn't the best with the nurse that communication was so bad in the beginning that i went with the other hospital which probably was not the right move however it was what it was so i mean really guys communication with the patients we're getting a whole lot of information and we don't necessarily know what to do with it so i know at the hospital i'm at right now they did a very very good job the second time but docs Communicate with your patients, man. It, it helps and we need it. This is something that you already, I guess, kind of started answering in terms of if you had to do it again, is there anything you'd have done differently? I have to say you were a big advocate for yourself, which is the best that we can ask of someone who's dealing with a new big diagnosis and mm -hmm. so much new information. Right. One, when you get all that information, it's too much by yourself. You have to be in there with somebody who one is paying attention in a way that you're not. No matter what happens, you have the diagnosis and it's like, it's like a tunnel vision effect. Like you don't hear anything, you don't see anything. All that's left is like, okay, that's on my plate now. All right. So having somebody else there to hear all the things that you're missing and to be able to relay it back to you later, that helps so much realizing that you can ask as many questions as you want realizing there should be and there is no time frame don't let them push you out talk to them seriously ask every single question you have because it's hard find out all the information that you need and 
I didn't do this, but I didn't do this for other reasons. But find a group, find a group of people who who get it. It could be a support group. It could be like family or friend group who just like you're just talking to them and they understand and they continue to treat you like you as opposed to a, like when things get rough. like somebody who truly understands. Keep that circle around you. You said like you're a little hesitant to say it's a support group. I always just say it's a support group. You just got to define what that support group is to you, which right. in some cases, it could really be a support group of people who have been through or are going through what you're going through. And no one else can understand what you're going through on that level like they can. Your mm -hmm. doctor cannot. A lot of times your doctor has never undergone the same surgery. They don't have the same symptoms. They haven't had the chemo you're having. So it makes a big difference. You know, when you were talking, I was like, it's like I planted these answers and responses to you because mm -hmm. you, you talked about how there's so much information and the more the merrier. When I see people, when I'm talking to people who are newly diagnosed, and sometimes I walk in the room and I see like four people, five people, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I have this person, that person. And I'm excited. I'm yeah. like, that's good. That's yeah. what I want because I want you to understand what we're talking about. But I know it's too much information, even if you're a doctor. Right. Even if you're a doctor, but if you're not, if this is not what you do, it's too much information. So everyone, whether they're there with you, or they're on the phone or FaceTime, everyone listening gets a little bit of information. You get back home, mm -hmm. throw it all in the middle, and you form a complete picture. Right. Well, fortunately, it was me and my partner, but unfortunately, it was just us. So it took a few times for us to get all the information. But no, 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 man. It, if she wasn't there, I would still be back there confused. It doesn't work that way. So, yeah. You got to have somebody else in there with you because it's a whole lot of info and it comes fast and you'll be like, wait, what was the name of that thing? And they're on like five steps. You're still trying to like gather. Uh -huh. like, okay, yeah. Have somebody else in there. Have somebody else in there taking notes <laughs> and communicate with your doctor. So I'm glad to hear that things are better now. They're moving better in the, in the right direction. So that's good. A lot of the credit goes to your willingness to advocate for yourself and Say, okay, this is not working. Let's go do something else. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything that you're doing since this diagnosis of cancer to raise awareness or things that are important to you in this regard? It's so important for me to raise awareness for this thing because colon cancer is preventable. If you get tested early enough, you don't have to deal with it. That's the basics of you know what I've learned from this. And the reasons why we don't get tested early enough are, there's a lot of them, but because it's preventable and because it hits us so disparagingly, I got no choice but to say something. During the pandemic, like we all watched, you know, Chadwick Boseman just pass. Like we didn't know why he passed. He was just all of a sudden gone. And then we heard what was going on and we didn't know, you know. And so when I got diagnosed, it was like, all right, man, look, somebody has to know that I didn't have to deal with this. And if I don't have to deal with this, that means somebody else doesn't have to deal with it. And I have a little bit of a platform. So what can I say? You know what I'm saying? What what can I do? So I'm trying my best to shout it from the hills, man. Y'all don't have to go through this. We don't have to go through it. With that Christmas record we talked about, we partnered with the Nancy Langhorn Foundation as well as the CCA and give all the proceeds from the vinyl sales and donated to those two, two organizations to give the screenings to folks who needed it because that's what I 
could do. I wish that somebody would have done that for me. So cut to now, I actually have a new record coming out soon. And the single comes out on March 14th. It's called New Bloom. I'm a saxophone player, but I sing a bit on this one. It speaks a little bit to the, the journey that's you know that's going on. The lyrics are the mantra that I've been having to tell myself during this time. It's like, no matter what problems you've got, we got today. And if we got today, we're going to be all right. If I got today, I can figure something out. So we partnered with Olympus, the scoping company, and the CCA again to make a video for that single. And we got to involve a whole bunch of dancers who were... Um, survivors and a musician who was also you know somebody who's fighting right now and i'm just trying to spread that message man march is obviously colorectal cancer month we're just trying to push it out as far as possible let everybody know that you, know, you don't have to deal with this you can just get tested and get screened taking your talents and using them you know to create that awareness it sounds like there will be a video for this new bloom too so there's going to be the saxophone you singing and then we'll see some dancing too <laughs> yeah you're gonna see some dancing it's gonna be a little bit yeah yeah, yeah. That, the video comes out on uh march 21st so keep your eyes out for it good we'll be on the lookout for that how have you found or how is it important through this journey to continue doing or try to do what you love what you enjoy i'm a musician that makes me creative. So I live to make things. I like to create. So I get joy from creating. It moves me. When I have something to look forward to, you know, it, it's a positive thing for me. And when all this started, I obviously didn't have anything to look forward to. And it wasn't it, man. If all I had to look forward to was chemo, that would be a very tiring existence. So I had to figure out how to be able to do what I love to do while going through this. It's taken a lot. It's, <laughs> I don't know how many people tour while going through chemo. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of planning and it takes a lot of effort and it takes a whole lot of people who, you know, you've got to trust, you know, flying back to New York every two weeks for chemo. <laughs> it's not fun, but it moves me. It keeps me going. And the more I do, the more I can do. So. Let's go. Let's do this. It yeah. It builds. It builds on itself. Yeah. I've never tried to play saxophone, but I know it takes a lot of effort. Just seeing how, you know, when I see how they play it, I definitely give you props for not just playing it, but even going on tour. You know, you'll be going on tour during it in spite of all the fatigue from chemo. You definitely struggled with getting back on that horse. But once you did, it just kind of kept feeding itself, giving you more right. energy. It's been a journey, but I'm um, grateful that I can continue to do what I do while I do this. That's amazing. Well, thank you for your time, James. Thank you for sharing the story. We're going to be on the lookout for New Bloom. Is it New Bloom or a New Bloom? New Bloom, B-L-O-O-M. It comes out on um, March 14th. Yeah, we'll be on the lookout for that. Before we wrap up and sign out, is there anything at all you want to say to us, share to everybody you have already? blessed us with a lot of good advice and inspiration keep your family close get tested get screened so you don't have to deal with this because you don't want to that's all i gotta say that's good that's more than enough <laughs> all right thank you very much for the time 